0: G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their Elders past, present and emerging.
1: You know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, robo-debt and it's an absolute outrage that none of these people who are responsible for this just absolute barbarous attack on people have spent any time in prison. No one is laying charges against them and they absolutely should be. We've heard already uh, that, that they knew, that the Liberal ministers knew what was going on. They knew that it was illegal and unfair and they did it anyway. They continued this racket on for four years. And when you think... Yeah, shame. And when you think about some of the hideous figures that are involved, uh, it's hard to go past uh, the Human Services Minister in 2016, Alan Tudge, a true sadist. He sent this message to welfare recipients We'll find you, we'll track you down, you will have to pay these debts, and you may end up in prison. Well, it is him and his mates that should be in prison got a chant that was actually inspired by the refugee activists. Lock up Tudge, throw away the keys. We won't stop till we live in peace. Lock up Tudge, throw away the key. We won't stop till we live in peace. Lock up Tudge, throw
0: away the keys. That is voices from the rally in Melbourne on December the 12th against cutting of job seeker payments. They are remembering another blot on the Federal LMP Government's Social Security copybook, RoboDebt, the automated debt-generating system which was found to be illegal when a case was taken to Federal Court. Today we have an interview with Don Sutherland. He is the former Chief Industrial Officer for the AMWU, the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, and he is now a founding member of LIFE. Living incomes for everyone, and we're talking to him today about the cuts to Job Seeker, and why it has knock-on effects for every working Australian in the LNP's game plan for a future Australia. <laughs>
1: You're listening to Stick Together, worker stories and union news, broadcast around the country every week on the community radio network.
0: In a recent news article, Cassandra Goldie, CEO of ACOS, the Australian Council of Social Services, said, while trying to find paid work People were struggling to survive on the grisly New Start set at just $40 a day. Food had become a discretionary item, with surveys finding almost three-quarters of people were skipping meals each week regularly. Teeth went unfixed and hair wasn't cut. Loneliness and depression grew. As a nation, we had committed one of our greatest fairness failures, allowing our unemployment payment, to become one of the lowest in the developed world. During COVID, the new start transformed into LMP Federal Government's advertising speak into Job Seeker, and increased to five hundred and fifty dollars a day, or seventy-eight dollars fifty-six cents a day, a surprising boost to Australia's ailing economy because people in poverty now could buy food and other amenities. But there was no intention to maintain this benchmark payment. The Federal Government is progressively reducing the payment with $100 lopped off on January 1st. A coalition of forces are working to reinstate the barely above poverty benchmark of $550 a week payment, but also in consideration is what the Government is hiding – from Australian workers in plain sight when it throws their fellow citizens into the poverty wilderness. As of December, there were still 959,400 Australians out of work. I spoke to Don Sutherland, former Chief Industrial Officer for the AMWU, the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union, and now part of the Life, Living Incomes for Everyone campaign, about the cuts to JobSeeker and why it has knock-on effects for every working Australian. With JobSeeker, they're intending to scale down the uh, what they call the supplement. So they had never had an intention of increasing uh, New Start quite clearly. I've been going back to look at the uh, reviews of the Henderson Poverty Report from the 1970s, uh, groundbreaking work. There's a description uh, about the present uh, government's view of uh, social security, in a sense, uh, and poverty in general. A deficit approach to poverty that sees its causes as individual, reflecting a combination of poor choices lack of planning and motivation, and an unending appetite to live off the public purse. Now, this is put diametrically opposite to what Henderson was talking about, which is that uh, it's not a personal attribute. It arises out of the organisation of society. It's quite clear that after COVID, or we're still going out of COVID, that cutting job seeker in a time when we have well officially seven percent unemployment is actually quite a, a misnomer regarding individuals' responsibility and much more about structural problems.
2: Well I think there's a sense in which the, um, uh, the removal of the supplement and the refusal at this stage, the countenance and increase is entirely rational. From the point of view of those who are managing the system, it's an entirely rational decision. Not without its contradictions and problems, but I understand it, and I don't. I don't that doesn't mean to say I, I agree with it. It's long, but it's rational.
0: Even though economists have now rated a permanent, adequate increase to job seeker. Together with social housing, as the best fiscal policy priorities for supporting the economy recovery coming out of COVID? Why is it rational?
2: It's rational because it means that those who have precarious jobs will concede what they have, they will concede being paid less for those precarious jobs for fear of being forced on to 40 bucks a day. And therefore, you see, you've got to define what recovery is. And in this system, recovery, first and foremost, always, is not jobs, it's profits. And therefore, to get profits up to the point where relative to investment, they're recovering, then you do have to put downward pressure on wages and other income. It's like having a reserve army of workers are there to be available should any of those who are in steady jobs or precarious jobs get bold enough to pursue a better deal in wages and conditions. And above all, that the recovery should not enable them to have the power to pursue related things like better control over working hours better control over the conversion from casual to permanent. those sorts of things. So it's rational. It's intended to make sure the biggest part of the working class, those that are in jobs, precarious or otherwise, don't have the power to make a difference. So
0: uh, I get from that is that, one, uh, it is definitely union business, the uh, cutting of job seeker but also that we have a government which is not focused on jobs, but focused on one part of the community and not anybody else?
2: Well, of course. The government, uh, particularly an LNP government, but of course we know from experience the majority in the Parliamentary Labor Party when they are in government, their priority is to enhance the demands of employers. That's their priority. Now, the second thing they must do, and so far the Morrison government has been very good at it, is to send a message that out to the general population that they are actually not doing that. In other words, send a message that they're governing for everyone. when In fact, they're governing for the 5%. And at the present time, A majority of the population, especially the voting part of the population, agree with that. They're comfortable with that. Now for those of us who have worked out that that's all wrong, that we don't want a government, that firstly the government is only the government for the 5%, we've got to work out better ways than we have so far of convincing the majority that we are right and the government is wrong.
0: My next question is, how do you see that playing out? Because to me, it's fairly obvious that with the uh, legislation, the industrial relations legislation that was brought into the parliament just before Christmas, uh, everything about this government is quite clearly anti-working class and uh, only pro-business. And uh, might I say that with the reshuffle... Uh, apparently now there's something like 13 members of their ministry out of 22 are evangelistic Christians.
2: Yes. Let's focus upon the legislation. The legislation that the government introduced just before Christmas it has the same intent as its method of managing unemployment and the standard of living of those people who are not in... Uh, uh, regularly in wages. Its purpose is to rob, in other words, it ba- it's going to back up what it's doing around unemployment and so on by robbing working people who are in wages, precarious or otherwise, from power, having power in the workplace and in their industries. So we have, if you like, two arms of the government's strategy to enhance the power of the employers and weaken the power of workers, especially their primary organisations, their unions. So we have, there are two interacting uh, approaches from the government. One is about how it manages and sells what's going on with the economy relative to unemployment and underemployment. And then secondly, the statutory changes it's trying to make to also dovetail with that to deny workers power in the workplace and in their industries. Now, that's why how this plays out is going to depend very much on the nature of the strategy that those of us, especially the union movement, but not just the union movement, I mean also unemployed and welfare organisations, they cannot continue to pursue the same strategy as they have been pursuing because then the government will get most of what it wants. It may make concessions, on some things, which will then be dressed up and messaged as major, when in fact they have won and achieved the significant things that the employers are demanding. So it all hinges around, how it plays out, will hinge around how we who are wanting to oppose and understand what the government is doing and why it's so destructive of people and of the environment that it must be opposed and defeated. How do we go about doing that? We must do our very best to escalate a movement that opposes the legislation and is defiant in that opposition. But the best way to do that is also to go on the offensive at the same time. And I think the three principal issues are really around whether and how much should there be an increase in the minimum rates, including the, the national minimum wage, but all of the minimum rates in awards? That's the first one. Secondly, maintaining and demanding the $550, in other words, the supplement becomes the new unemployment benefit, and then thirdly, an increase in the age pension. Building a struggle around those demands as the principal demands does not just mean that we drop off on everything else. And I agree that I think housing has got to be in that sort of set of demands. But if we have a long shopping list, we will be so diffuse, the government will be delighted if we do that. We've got to drill down to the three or four. If we do that, then I think we can build a movement that, of course, all of the other things that need to happen, especially regarding the cashless welfare debit card, and things of that nature, they will ride on the coattails of the three or four principal demands. And there are focal points for it. So the budget issue will probably swing back into its normal timetable. Tuesday may be 11th, I think it is. And so the movement has to be biting at the government three to four weeks before that. In in mid-April, and in regards to the annual wage review, which determines directly the incomes of 2.5 million people, workers, this is the standard of living of low-income workers is determined. This is the most important event that determines the standard of living for low-income workers, and directly that's about 2.5 million workers and then the flow-on effects in terms of setting the proper benchmark to, A, work out whether the waste test is happening, and B, to do what still will inevitably be done about enterprise bargaining and maintaining a proper relativity between enterprise bargaining standards of living and uh, award-based or minimum rates. Standards of living. Those dates for the annual wage review is that the submissions have to be in by the 26th of March. And I think that's a good day for a first demonstration of intent that the recovery must include a significant increase in minimum rates. And then that can be backed off on the next couple of dates that hinge around the Commission having to make a decision in June so that the new pay rates can be implemented in the first pay period in July. That's, that's how it might play out. Whether it does or not is another question.
0: You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. We are chatting to Don Sutherland, who is the former Chief Industrial Officer for the AMWU and now part of the Life Living Incomes For Everyone campaign. And we're talking about the cuts to job seeker, and why it has knock-on effects for every working Australian and why it is union business. Can we go back to the way the government uh, manages uh, messages uh, their public relations process? Uh, one, of course, is that they uh, introduce the most staggering industrial relations legislation just before Christmas... Two, they clothe it in this notion that it's to do with COVID, uh, which it isn't because the, it predates COVID. Uh, and uh, it, and uh, then uh, the fact that it was established that they've spent $128 million on self-promotion using the public purse. The fact that uh, they've undermined the ABC to such a degree that it no longer... Actually investigates anything Barely, anyway It usually responds Rather than news And then just repeats it over and over again uh, Based on what the governments Want people to know At Christmas I was talking to someone about This and uh, He's not an unknowledgeable person And lives in Canberra Said, how would you find out about this information About the industrial relations So uh, it seems that a lot of people out there are unaware that this is a hurricane against the uh, uh, Australian standing of living.
2: I think, I think there's a lot in that. And I think what that does, it, this goes back to my point of, you know, that we've got to do things very differently. The dominant form of activism last year, the COVID year, was click activism. And click activism has not actually, in the way in which it has been done, uh, provided the opportunity for a mass of workers to learn about what the government agenda is and why it's pursuing it. It is almost like the messages reverberate around an echo chamber of, union members, and within that even probably mostly restricted to the more active elements of union membership. It's not reaching beyond that. Now that has to change. Now I think what changes it from decades of experience is A, people being visible. So the click activism must be about bringing people in masses into visibility regaining the streets. The second aspect of it, it must have a really clear defiance element. In other words, it's not about politeness. It's not just about consultation. It's not just about having a voice. It's about defining what the rules currently are. Because the rules as they currently stand are broken. They're going to be... Even worse, and we must defy them. Not just complain about them, but defy them. Now then, what do people who, like your friend, they see that and the discussion develops? Why were all of those people in front of the offices of the Fair Work Commission? Why were they noisy? Why were they making speeches? Why were they demanding that deputations be heard? All of those sorts of things. means, And the word spreads, right? And the word spreads, including digitally in social media, and also word of mouth in pubs and cafes, street corners, those sorts of things. They still exist. Yeah, because this affects everybody. Exactly. It does affect everybody. You see, in the next six months, between now and the end of June, the standard of living for 90% of the population is going to be determined for the next probably 10 years. And that standard of living, as far as this government is concerned, will have a bigger proportion of people living in poverty than we have seen for decades. So yes, we have to stay up.
0: And they don't care.
2: No, they don't care about that, you see. In fact, from their point of view, if people are living in poverty, living between having a job one week or one month and not having it the next, that means the power of the employer is more powerful until we get our act together as the 90%. For them, that is what they govern for. The main thing we have to say is that every listener has to step up from not just being a complainer to becoming an activist. So from the point of view of life campaign, for example, the Living Incomes for Everyone campaign, every person visiting this webpage will be challenged by me at least so by the end of January to have had a meeting of somewhere between three and six people who are on precarious incomes or who are unemployed or are on the pension to talk about how they are going to join in and start inflicting pain on the Rustins, and the cashers and the microsons and to build a movement across the country that says that we're not going to accept, we're not going to accept anything less than five hundred and fifty dollars. And we'll fight until we get it. That's the spirit we have to bring into this year. That has to be the definition of our recovery. Because if we don't define it that way, then the boss's recovery will prevail.
0: That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with the show, we are podcast at 3cr.org.au, found on iTunes and Spotify. If you want to drop us a line, email us on sticktogether3cr at gmail.com and until next week, remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you and stick together.
3: Give up? Will me tell? Are you shocked by what people give? Get you to. Do you wake up in a cold sweat? Well, that's. Yes. Sí. Sí. Too. You wake up in a cold sweat. Well, that's same At least you got a little brain, left You got a little brain. Cause I know you got to fight your adrenaline just to be jealous